Hello, this is Brian McCormick welcoming you to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the Resource for Leaders, LeaderNetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Gary Harpst. Gary is the founder and CEO of Six Disciplines Corporation. He is the author who wrote Six Disciplines for Excellence, Building Small Businesses That Learn, Lead, and Last. His newest book is Execution Revolution, Solving the One Problem That Makes Solving All Other Problems Easier. Gary Harps describes it as a book written at a conceptual level and says the book shows that now there is a new way to attack the challenge of leadership in small and mid-sized organizations. Mr. Harps received his bachelor's and master's degree in business administration with an emphasis in computer science. Both degrees came from The Ohio State University. Gary Harps and I spoke about leadership, and he offered valuable lessons from his experiences and expertise. Now we begin this month's podcast with National Leader of the Month, Gary Harps. As we begin, Gary is sharing his favorite quotation. Well, this is a paraphrase, and I can get you the literal quote if you'd like, but it's uh, from C.S. Lewis, and it's says the key to understanding man and the universe is we all agree on what's right and wrong and none of us do it. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about why you select that quote? Well, it's uh, there are a lot of reasons. Um, and actually, the, the venture I'm in now, um, Six Disciplines, was started because of the idea that most business people know many of the things they should do but don't do them. I was actually speaking at a conference one time where a couple of people at the conference said uh, it was a business improvement conference, and I asked people how was the conference going for them, and they said it's great, but I probably won't be doing anything about it two years from now. And I couldn't get that out of my mind on the plane ride back, and the more I thought about it, the broader I thought that that issue was, which is what C.S. Lewis was saying, that uh, there's something about mankind that, whether it's fitness or business practices or relationships, uh, either we struggle um, be doing the things that we know we should do. And so that became kind of a mission for Six Disciplines was to say, what could we do to help uh, small and mid-sized businesses in particular to apply many of the things they know they ought to and just don't don't. So that's kind of the background on that. Okay, interesting. How about a favorite book? Well, you know, that's so hard. Um I do like a lot of CS Lewis's material. Um sort of a life book for me is his uh, Mere Christianity. I, I really like that as a it's I don't know if you ever read any of his material, but he is such a deep thinker and laying foundational uh, truths and integrating in your life. From a business point of view, I've always in, I've enjoyed um, oh the Peter Senge's book Fifth Discipline about learning. Sure. And uh, I've liked a lot of Al Reese and uh, his material. It's uh, it's older material, but I think some of their thinking on positioning. He and his partner 
trout were very um, instrumental to me in understanding um, marketing and positioning. And then Michael Porter has just always been the best for me on uh, strategy thinking. Okay. Any books beyond those that you would recommend for aspiring leaders? Well, I like, you know, for small business, I like Michael Gerber's material. His E-Myth book was wonderful in terms of getting a, an early leader to realize the different roles of leadership. So that was excellent. Um, the Maxwell, a lot of his material has been um, really good. John Maxwell. Sure. Uh, leadership thoughts. I mean, he's got so many different books there. I couldn't pick one, but any of his material is good. As far as a place in the world that you most like to visit, is there anything or a place you would like to visit if there's somewhere you haven't been but you'd like to go? Well, I have really enjoyed New York and Broadway. I've enjoyed London. I've only been to Paris once. I've not been anywhere in the East, Far East, and I would really like to go to China and maybe Singapore, along in those areas, Australia. I've not been in that part of the world. Okay. What would you say have been some of the experiences that have been uh, either vital to your development or if there have been some turning points in your life? Uh, could you talk about those? Well, I, I think my whole experience with starting a business in 1980 with my two partners, uh, that was Solomon Software, we uh, committed that business to uh, just run it with honesty and integrity and, and try to uh, be uh, true to our faith in, in that whole business. And it was just a 20-year wild ride. We we happened to start right about uh, 10 months or 12 months before IBM introduced the PC, and we were a software company. And uh, so over that 20 years, we made about every mistake you can make in business and still managed to survive and even thrive and ultimately sold it to uh, our largest competitor which and then about 90 days later began negotiating with selling the whole thing to microsoft so it was <laughs> such, a, such a learning experience okay terrific what about are there any mentors that you could talk about who have positively impacted your life and and what has been their impact on you well, my two partners I just mentioned, um, we have kind of uh, an unusually uh, strong relationship, and business is always um, – I've had a number of people say to me, we've been in three businesses together, and they can't believe we've maintained our friendship for uh, 30 years through three businesses. And uh, the, I think because we hold some things more important than business, that that has really allowed us to uh, remain on the same page and be open and honest with each other. And my senior partner, Jack Ridge, he's about 10 years older than I am, and he's uh, an idea guy. He really believes in taking chances, and there's not much that you can't do, and my junior partner, Vern, is more of a um, more reserved and more cautious, and so having that partnership has just been a wonderful spectrum where Jack's willing to do most anything, and Vern's back saying, hmm, maybe we better think about this. Sure. And I, I think those two, um, those two, that range or those extremes, if you want to call them that, have really helped me. At times you need to take those risks and at times you need to count the cost. Sure. 
Sounds like so a we're, great, we're still friends today. Sounds like a great arrangement. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about evaluating a corporate mission and, and its goals? We do that as part of the, the methodology we follow in helping businesses and start with asking the owners and leadership what's important to this business. And that's that's the essence of strategy. Um, I think it was Michael Porter said um, that, um, how did he, I forget how he said it, something to the effect that the essence of strategy is deciding what not to do. And uh, so we ask our clients to answer three questions when it comes to a mission uh, or values is, what is the purpose of this company from the perspective of our employees and from our customers and from our investors? And when you ask that question from those three perspectives, you really uh, are digging into the essence of why the organization exists and lots of Lots of work is required to make sure everybody's heard and, and you have a common vision. And then we just repeat that same thing for values to, you know, what what's the character of the company that's important to our stakeholders, each of those three I just mentioned. Okay. So that, that's the process we follow, and we, and we repeat it. And the key thing is to get everyone involved, not just uh, one person's point of view, but really a, a, an open dialogue. Sure. Okay. What about the notion of setting realistic yet challenging business goals across an entire organization? Could you talk a little bit about the challenge of doing that and, and how you go about uh, getting that job done? Yes, absolutely. We've, we have learned uh, a lot on that topic, and we've found that there's a tendency for uh, top leadership to uh, or needs to set some uh, top-down goals, but they need it gives guidance to the organization, but they need to view them as sort of a, a draft goal and then form teams uh, below them that are the people that are going to be involved executing them and have them come up with the more detailed plans for verifying that that goal's right. And we call that initiative development and we have learned sort of the hard way to not let the senior team go too far in uh, crafting the goals before they involve those that have to uh, deliver on it. And that, that solves two problems. One, it verifies that the goals themselves are realistic, but more importantly, it causes the people who have to work to deliver on that goal to um, sort of thrash through all the things they've got to do to deliver, to meet the goal, and they, they get better understanding of what the goal is all about, and they believe in it. Sure. And, you know, if the leadership does too much of that, um, it, either either problem could exist. The people below don't understand it, or they don't believe in it, one or the other. Sure. Okay. And can you talk a little bit about, in your experiences, how common is that where the leadership is doing too much with that goal setting and, and visioning and not spreading that process out across the organization. How common is that, would you say? Well, I think it's um, very common. There's there's two, two situations we see um, over and over and over. One is the organization that is very tightly led by just a handful of people and not much um, communication, um, effective communication or involvement below. 
And the other is that um, organizations that are running so hard that even the small senior team doesn't have time to really set and think about um, long-term where are we trying to go. And so those are two different cases. One, One is they have clear direction, but they don't involve anybody else. And so the organization doesn't execute very well getting there. And the other is everybody's running fast and it's more reactive and um, interrupt-driven and, and no clear direction. Sure. Okay. Could you talk a little bit about choosing the best business book for an industry and then ways to implement lessons from the book? Do you have a process around that? <laughs> well, that's, that is uh, a lot of what we're all about. We I ask almost in every speaking engagement I have, how many are reading or have read a a bestseller book or something that really has struck you as having a lot of good material in it and haven't done a thing about it? And uh, you should see the reaction of the audience. So many have done that. And so uh, basically what I'm going to say is that, um, you know, I think uh, looking at books that are, uh, your friends have read and have gotten a lot out of, or even bestsellers, just to, to scan through those to see those that have uh, not just been a bestseller for a week, but stay perpetually um, read, that there must be people getting value out of those. That, that's step one. But to be honest with you, I'm not very optimistic that most organizations have the capability to act on what they read in those. And um, I can give an example in, in our company, uh, Solomon Software, when we were growing, growing really rapidly, we um, were looking for a way to to get control of the culture of the company. We added so many people so fast, we felt like we were losing what we, um, sort of the character of the company. And so we went through a Seven Habits material, and it's excellent material. And I, I personally trained everybody in the company on that material, became a facilitator, but, you know, two years later, we really weren't doing a lot with it, and um, it just slips away. And that, that's actually what our new venture, this uh, Six Disciplines, is all about. And I'm writing a new book called Execution Revolution that is describes what we have learned about what it takes to make uh, those best practices stick. And it, the ideas in a good book are part of it, but it's only one of four things. When you say one of four things, what would be the other three? Well, the first, the, way, the first of the four is what I call a methodology, some some systematic way to work on the business. And, that, what, you know, every product you make, um, whether it's a home or cookies or coffee, if, if you do it well, you have a repeatable methodology. And so um, the first uh, thing that's needed is sort of a blueprint to, to organize how you plan and uh, set goals and measure the outcomes. The second is some kind of a coaching relationship, an outside accountability relationship, and it needs to be outside the company. You know, if you put that book on, go in and teach on something and don't have somebody come back and visit you in a quarter and say, where are you at on this? You, you, history tells us that human nature is you won't stick to it. Sure. Kind of like a, kind of like a fitness program. So our program in, it requires a, uh, an ongoing coach forever with the client they don't want to do that, then we know they're not serious. The third element is uh, what we call an execution system. It's something that takes that methodology and helps every worker apply it every day so that whether they're working at home or 
the office or in a hotel or something like that, uh, they can stay connected and know whether they're on track for their goals or not. And uh, in today's Internet age, that's much more practical. It really wasn't uh, ten, even 10 years ago. But it is now, and it's changing the game for small and mid-sized businesses. And the last element is what we call um, a learning community. And most most of the practices we talk about have been proven in large businesses, but they're very expensive and they're very hard to integrate into the organization. And so big companies spend tens of millions of dollars putting all this stuff together. And so for small and mid-sized organizations, there needs to be some way to improve the economics, make it practical for uh, that kind of organization to learn best practices. So with the Internet and a coaching network, you can share uh, what you learn from one client's experiences to another, and it's like you end up having um, sort of a pooled R&D department for uh, best practice development. Makes it makes it economical. So those are the four elements. Okay, great. What advice would you give to aspiring leaders? Uh, number one by far is uh, make sure you work with people you trust. And there's just nothing that can overcome um, uh, an environment, a culture of being uh, not trusting the people around you. And my advice I've given many, many times is if you don't trust those above you or beside you, uh, find another place. It's just not it's not worth it. And, of course, that means you yourself have to be trustworthy. Sure. Great advice. Who are your most admired leaders? Yes, uh, in today, in contemporary times, last in my lifetime, uh, Ronald Reagan has been a hero of mine. I, I, I know a lot of people have not thought of him as a great uh, intellect, but it seemed to me he had an internal compass that guided his decision making, and uh, you kind of what he what you saw was what you got, and I really always appreciated that sometimes and leadership in today's politics it's difficult to uh, know really what someone stands for so i'd say contemporary times would be him okay great when you think about uh, leadership highlights of your life what would be some of the things that you would choose well one of the most um, both maybe a, a toughest time and uh, also, the best time was the uh, time we had to do uh, layoffs. We, I really had made a lot of mistakes as a leader and kind of backed our Solomon company into a situation where we couldn't employ about half our workforce any longer, and it was just uh, heart-rending to uh, have to lay off people that you'd worked with and helped build the company with. But, you know, in that whole experience was some of the uh, most uh, the greatest learnings in my life. Um, number one was uh, the uh, pu- the pulling together I saw with the team that remained and the determination to make the business work. And it turned out um, in the next ten years the gr- business grew five hundred fold, five hundred percent. And uh, it was out of that tragedy came great success. And uh, we. It really gave me a conviction to never get in that situation again, and I think it's made me a little more mentally tough in the sense of uh, if you don't, as a manager, provide the discipline for your organization to be 
um, cost-effective and, and doing what needs to be done, the marketplace will eventually do it for you. And uh, I just resolved to never um, be a weak leader again and not address the things that need to be addressed. And so, you know, that's life that um, out of some of the toughest things are where you really are steeled and, uh, your, you know, some of your deepest values are formed. Hmm. What about... Uh, if you, is there a metaphor, a story, or an analogy that you could offer about leadership in general? Well, I, I, I'm laughing because people get tired of me talking about it, but I, it's one word, adventure. Okay. Um, I, my, I married late in life, and I have uh, young children or have had, I've got a couple teenagers, and they like playing a game of um, Texas Hold'em. Okay. And they just love playing that game, and I keep uh, explaining to them that, you know, life itself is more interesting than any game of cards. You know, in a game of cards, you're looking at your hand and seeing how good it is, and maybe you're betting some uh, plastic chips or candy bars or something like that. And every day in business life is like that. You're looking at the hand you got, you're thinking about how to play that hand, what to keep, what to throw away, and um, I just love life and the decisions that go along with life, and you don't always make them right, but they all matter, and makes life tremendously interesting. And I, I never would have expected at this age, when some people are retiring, to have the energy and enthusiasm. I just can't wait to get at it after every day. Hmm. What do you think are some of the traits that are most important in a leader? Yes, the vision is the first thing I would list, and. I remember reading in some uh, ancient uh, old literature about uh, an epitaph on a group of men called the men of Issachar in uh, the Old Testament, in fact, and it, it said that they understood the times and knew what to do about it. And I think a leader really needs to be a student of the times and learn to know what to do about it. Uh, the second, I would I think is honesty. Uh, you just can't be a leader uh, without people trusting you, and you can't be trusted unless you tell the truth. And so it's more than just being truthful, but it means you have to be open as well. You can't um, be um, covering things up or hiding things. So, And the third, I think, is passion. I think most people, uh, I forget who made this statement, but people go in the direction the leader is going rather than the direction he is saying so that you know that passion you have to lead by example you have to really roll up your sleeves and otherwise nobody else will be interested either so those things vision honesty and passion would be my top three okay how, how typical do you think those characteristics are in a lot of our leaders uh, any thoughts on that at all well uh you know, I've been fortunate in uh, my business life to work with uh, small and mid-sized organizations, and I, I think uh, the honesty and passion is um, definitely there. I think sometimes leaders uh, may not have the vision they need. Um, so it, it sort of depends on the circumstances of the business. If, you're, if you've um, got somebody else on your staff or, or a history, a parent, or something that has sort of built the business, then being a caretaker uh, you can be, you know, you can 
get away with being a caretaker for a while. Um, sure. In the long term, you need the vision. Sure. Okay. What are some of the things that organizations do that either encourages or conversely stifles leaders? Well, the uh, one is just creating a culture of fear, uh, you know, culture of fear, fear of failure, fear, fear of making mistakes. And, that, you know, that causes, um, one, that if someone uh, reports to you and you're afraid that they can make a mistake, then they, be, they become uh, kind of my daughter's in softball and she's not been hitting very well and she, her fear causes her not to swing the bat very well. So it becomes self-fulfilling. And so um, I think that's a huge one. It's just rec- rem- encouraging people uh, to learn from their mistakes and realizing everybody makes them and you'll have a better and stronger organization if uh, people learn together rather than being afraid to try. Sure. What do you think are some of the best training programs out there for leaders and leadership? <laughs> Maybe that's a uh, wrong question to ask me in the sense that our methodology is the best training program that I have seen. and it, it wasn't really designed to be a training program, but, you know, the way you train people is by showing them and helping them and coming alongside of them and letting them learn on the job. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of um, sort of just isolated training where all you do is go off and, and study. I, I much prefer the uh, more of the um, apprentice master model where you're working alongside somebody and the, the nurturing and the training are going on literally every day. And uh, setting clear goals, um, helping people participate in defining what the goals are and then working to pursue them is one of the biggest um, training benefits you can get because if people don't have clear goals it reminds me of a golf coach I had that when he would give me lessons he'd say now go practice what we just worked on focus on practicing on this and he said if you go to practice and hit balls and don't have something to focus on all you're doing is getting exercise you're not practicing and that's the way a goal is when when you give a worker a clear goal they're not going to always achieve that goal but by focusing on it they will learn faster so um, we're really big on the idea of um, clear goals and then helping people work towards achieving them. That, that to me, is the way you grow leaders. Sure. For the question of how your leadership has been challenged or tested and how you responded, you had shared that one story about the downsizing. Is that what you would reference to that question, or is there any other story that you would share there? Well, I've had, I had another experience that was uh, on the surface appeared to be kind of the opposite of the downsizing. We had a tremendous success one time at, at Solomon Software where we won a major national award and got um, such publicity that our business doubled in about 90 days. Wow. And uh, that, on the surface, looked really good, but it, it tested management unlike anything we ever went through because it took us probably almost a year to recover from being overwhelmed um, by having that much of an increase in a short period of time and our many of our processes and, and training of you know, people on the phones and all those sorts of things sort of broke down and our quality uh, got 
What does good leadership look like to you? Well, I think it's related to what I talked about earlier. It's um, somebody that's really involved in, in helping the people under them become successful. Uh, you know, it's uh, I'm I'm one who likes to do a lot of things myself, and I have to constantly um, remind myself that if I do that, the organization can only do what I can do. But if I learn to let go and hand things off and make people responsible, uh, they they grow into the responsibility. People are made to take responsibility, but they, they can't do it unless you give it to them. And so that's a, that's a constant battle, I think, for me and for a lot of leaders is uh, how do you let go? How do you let people uh, fail, even if that's what's going to happen? In the end, you'll have a, um, a stronger and better organization. Sure. A lot of leadership is pointing in direction, but not uh, telling them how to get there. Sure. Well, in addition to that piece of advice that you just offered, any other important piece of advice you could share that you've been given? Well, uh, the I think I probably shared the two things that are most central to my life is the uh, the idea of working with people you trust. Mm -hmm. That makes uh, business so much uh, fun and less stressful. And uh, the other one is the adventure aspect. You know, to, the, the failures in my life have turned out to led to some of the greatest learning. So just not being afraid of what's happening today, because if you think it's good, like the, the big sales increase, it may have some hidden downsides on the other side. And the things you think are so negative, so often in the seeds of that are something really good. And so I have just learned to... Uh, not get down in the down times and not get too high on the up, up time. Sure. And just keep moving forward. And that, that to me, is the adventure part of it. My favorite question is the one that's next. Uh, the, it's the story question. I'm wondering if you could share a story that would encapsulate kind of what you're all about. It was late in the life of Solomon Software when we had concluded that uh, the industry was consolidated and consolidating and we either needed to take it public or combine with another public company. And we concluded that combining with another public company was the right thing to do. And we put together a transaction with uh, Great Plains, who was our largest uh, competitor in the U.S., and we were probably, they were probably number one in market share and we were probably three or four. And they were public, and when we agreed to all the terms of the deal, it was based on their stock price, and it was a stock-based offering, et cetera. And uh, we really thought through who we were partnering with and why, and um, were confident that we were making the right decision, trusted the people that we were working with, and, and uh, the day before the transaction was to be consummated, the... Um, Great Plains missed their earnings for the first time in the history of the company. And their stock price dropped in half mm. the day before. And uh, their CEO called and wondered whether we were going to go forward with the transaction. And we had some advice from experts that said uh, not to go forward and to renegotiate. And, and uh, you know, three owners, just my partners and I, just sat down and said, now, how did we get to this decision? Are these the right partners? And 
if the value of the company and the relationships is there, then does does an overnight change in stock price really change the facts? And uh, we decided to go ahead and didn't renegotiate, didn't do anything differently. And uh, lo and behold, 90 days later, Microsoft had made uh, approached the combined entity. And by the time our um, six months was over and the lockup was over, the price of the stock was higher than when we'd started. Hmm. And uh, we ended up Many, many good things happened. Our, our team members got stock options loaded at a really low price because of the downturn in the price. And it ended up being um, probably one of the best things that could have happened for our team members and our investors. Oh. And so in that story is the point I've been making all along to uh, think through your decisions, uh, work with people you trust, and uh, don't be afraid to, to move forward. Oh, that is a great story. What about what's up next for you? What are some things on your uh, horizon, kind of objectives, goals, et cetera? Well, we have been in a kind of a research mode with my current company, Six Disciplines, and we're now uh, with the, we're we're now doing pre-sales work on a new book I've written, uh, Execution Revolution, and. That book encapsulates sort of our dream and our vision. We, we think there's a variety of reasons why decades has created a leapfrog opportunity for small and mid-sized businesses to take technologies that have not them before and integrate them into, an in, into a holistic program that allows them to um, execute their strategy better. And it, it, it's the combination of those four things I was talking about earlier, a methodology and, te and technology and coaching and, and a shared learning ecosystem. And um, We really are – what I'm devoting my time and energy about is to go around the country and help small businesses say the game is changing. We've got a completely new way to manage your businesses that are going to make them more effective. And we really do think it's going to be a revolution. It's, it, I mean, it's just starting. We've validated it with the – handful of clients, and we've probably spent uh, $25 million in research and over 100 man years in the last five, six years putting together this program and proving it. And, um, you know, at this stage of my life, I don't need to be. I've enjoyed business so much that uh, I want to see America remain uh, competitive or be even more competitive, and we think this changes the game for small and mid-sized organizations. Sure. Well, thank you, Brian. This has been a real honor. I've enjoyed it. Well, th thanks very much. That concludes the podcast with National Leader of the Month, Gary Harps. Come back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from LeaderNetwork.org.